seeing behind the spiritual facade. That's next on Abounding Grace. How careful we need to be to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lusts of our flesh, to have our spiritual antenna on so we're not taken advantage of and we don't find ourselves taking advantage of other people. You see, not everything is what it appears outwardly. Not everything is what it seems outwardly. While we see one thing, God alone sees the outside and the inside at the same time. So it would make sense that we would depend upon the discernment of the Lord to give us insight on the issues of the heart, which none of us know the heart of anyone. There isn't, we will never be able to know the heart. Only God reveals the heart. And on many occasions, he does. This is amazing grace. So there you are faced with a situation or you encounter another person and something just doesn't seem right. You might say an internal alarm is going off. What do you do? Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor will be talking about the discerning of spirits or the ability to determine good from evil. Of course, this isn't something we can come up with on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to help us in this area. So let's turn to 2 Samuel 15 and see how to handle matters next time that Holy Spirit alarm goes off in your life. 2 Samuel chapter 15 as we start a new chapter today. The focus is in David's home, which is in chaos and strife. Great difficulties are in his home. He's living with the consequences of forgiven sin. And there's a lot of tension in particular between father and son here, between David and his son Absalom. And Absalom is a murderer and a liar and a manipulator. But he's also a very patient man. As he watches these things take place, he's able to see the situation for what it is and not act too hastily, too quickly. But he decided, remember, to get Joab's attention by setting his field on fire. And we looked at that in our own lives, how often God will allow circumstances and situations into our lives that would literally set our lives on fire, set our fields on fire to get our attention. And through that, Absalom finds his way back home, but still unrepentant. And he wants more. He isn't looking for reconciliation with his dad. A careful study of the scriptures here makes that very clear. He's not looking to make things right. He's not looking to come home in humility. He's not looking to find any wrong in his own doing. Instead, we see him his plotting and planning to undermine his dad and subvert the kingdom of God. Now, as you look at Absalom, outwardly he has all of the qualities of a man that would draw people after himself. He had good looks, the Bible says. He was from a royal family. He was charming, persuasive. There's even emphasis in the text of how much hair the man had and how you can get the picture of it flowing in the wind. It will actually end up being a problem for him. As you guys that have read ahead, you know, it ends up being a big issue in his life. 
as often vanity can be, but in a very real way. He looked good outwardly, but as so often the case, inwardly he was corrupt. It reminded me of what Jesus wrote. You can jot it down in Matthew chapter 23. Actually, Matthew wrote it. Jesus said it. He was speaking to the religious rulers, and if you were looking at the religious rulers, you would come to the conclusion that they were very godly men, very spiritual men, uh, men that you would want to follow, men that, you, that had esteem and prestige. But Jesus saw through all that, and he spoke to them and said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness." While Jesus said that many years later, it's a great description of Absalom as we see things unfolding in real time in our study. Today, we're only going to look at the first few verses because I want to pause before we finish the chapter and introduce to you, or for some of you, reintroduce to you the manifestation of the Holy Spirit known as the discerning of spirits or the ability to, know, to determine good from evil, especially as it relates to a person or a situation. Because when I read Matthew 23, I know that Jesus is God, but there he is in the power of the Holy Spirit, able to see something that everyone else was unable to see. Or they were able to see it, but weren't willing to speak up in the boldness, or they saw some of it, but weren't able to come to that conclusion. And it causes me to pause and say, now wait a minute, how is it that we could possibly see what's going on behind the scenes? How is it that we could possibly be presented with something that looks good outwardly, but then get right down to the root of the issue? One of those ways is the revelation of God through the manifestation of discernment or the discerning of spirits. That as a believer, the Spirit of God in your life can enable you and help you in the moment to be able to see what you normally wouldn't see. And we'll go into that in just a moment. But notice with me in verse 1 of chapter 15 in 2 Samuel. After this it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. And so it was whenever, whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision, that Absalom would call to him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, verse 4, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me. Then I would give them justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came near to him to bow down to him, that he would come out, put his hand out, and take him and kiss him. And in this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So notice the conclusion, verse 6. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men... Of Israel. It's interesting how Absalom begins his steps of subversion, his steps of disunity. It's not by force, and it's not by anything overtly. He doesn't come out and declare himself, I'm the king, I'm taking over, 
Uh, it's all over. Come follow me. My dad is wrong. God's choices. He doesn't do any of that. It's very subtle, as the devil often is. And he specifically takes advantage of his dad's position and the knowledge that he has of the responsibilities of his dad and those that serve with him. First of all, notice he travels around in chariots. Did you notice? Don't miss it in verse 1. He provided for himself. This is he's setting himself up. And he provides himself these chariots and horses and a whole entourage of guards, which makes him appear very king-like. People can begin to see him as a king. They can begin to envision him as a king. Very subtle. Secondly, notice, because David is very active overseeing the kingdom, Absalom, in a very conniving way, goes to the people and invites them to come to him for matters and decisions that didn't belong to him. This wasn't his position. This wasn't a place that was provided for him to serve in the kingdom. But instead, he takes it upon himself. And, and you can hear, you know, as he, as he says with me, Absalom says, look, verse 3, your case is good and right, but there's no deputy of the king to hear you. You could translate that, oh, you know, my daddy's so busy. And all the people with him are so busy. They're too busy for you is the subtle word behind that because he follows up with, how can I help you? The only thing is, is that Absalom has no responsibilities whatsoever. He doesn't have anything to do. And so he's always available to the select group that he's picked out. It's all, it's all very much a setup, unfortunately. A setup that's built upon trust and built upon and used, I should say, from trust and from knowledge and being in a position of authority. Thirdly, we find Absalom faking sincerity as he declares, oh, that I were made a judge. Or you could better translate that, if I was in charge, it wouldn't be this way. And all working the people over time. This is, we're reading in six verses, but this is happening day after day, week after week, over time. Finally, when the people begin to show him almost a worship-like attention, he receives it, he encouraged it, and he fed it. And you see the conclusion was all, of, all along his motive was to steal the hearts of the men of Israel. Literally, the Bible describes his actions as not good or wholesome or spiritual or approved of God. From heaven's perspective, Absalom is sinning against God and sinning against his dad, the king. Even though on earth he's being praised, elevated, and, and worshipped and followed, the Bible says that he's a thief. And he's taking something that doesn't belong to him. Listen, in a very general way, those of you that have responsibility in the church of Jesus Christ, you have within you the ability to steal people's hearts towards you through relationship, through words, through subtle conniving. You have the ability to take something that doesn't belong to you. The hearts of God's people do not belong to you. In a very real way, the people of God do not belong to you. Jesus Christ bought you and me with his own blood, not your blood or mine. We belong to him. And any pastor, any under-shepherd, any leader, any overseer, as we've studied many times before throughout the scriptures, are to serve the people of God, not to steal from the people of God. And one of the discussions that we have when someone comes through my office is we talk about stealing. And on occasion, 
the conversation when it comes to stealing uh, will, will be a question that I ask, how can you steal in a church? You know, someone that's going to come on staff and someone's going to take a position of responsibility. How, do you have a problem with stealing? Usually the answer is no. Uh, and well, then how would you possibly steal? How do you think? And you know, the, the typical things will come up. Well, I guess we could steal pins, but the pins are free here. So don't worry about that. We could steal office equipment and, you know, you could steal time. And we talk about that because you, you can do all those things just like anyone can in any place of employment. But what's very unique and special about being put in a position of leadership or oversight in a church is that through the relationship of trust and love and service, people naturally open up their heart to you and to me. And that's a tremendous privilege to be invited into someone's life. And it's not to be taken advantage of. It's not to be used to steal the hearts of the people after yourself. Whether you're within a congregation, trying to divide the leadership perhaps, or you're in a place uh, in the congregation where you're drawing people after yourself away from the Lord. Or even in some of the worst cases, you know, a cult leader trying to have people follow him instead of following the Lord. Absalom's doing this within the kingdom, within the Old Testament. I believe it's been with us from the beginning of time. This heart for man worship or this heart for people to follow after us. How careful we need to be, to be entrusted with, you know, oftentimes when someone will share something with me or I've created a habit in my life to thank them for sharing a part of their life with me, to acknowledge the reality of how hard that might be. And some of you understand that. You, you know how hard it is to sit in a room with someone that's a relative stranger to your life and talk about problems in your life. You have enough, hard enough time talking about problems with somebody that you know, let alone someone that you don't know all that well. You know by teaching and by relationship. But it's not like we have, have spent every waking hour talking about life. We haven't. But you've come to the place where there has been a trust relationship built with me or one of the pastors here or one of the servants here. And through that trust relationship, you bear open a part of your heart and let me just say, if people do that in your life, God has given you that privilege. Do not steal their hearts away from the Lord. You keep pointing them to the Lord, pointing them to the solution that's found in the scriptures, pointing them to a discipleship relationship in him. Don't do it because you're going to find out if you want to read ahead. The end for, for a man like Absalom is not a good end. The Bible says that when you and I sow to the flesh, we're going to reap corruption. The wages of sin are always death and God will not allow for forever the stealing of hearts. Let me just add this on a smaller scale apart from the congregation. This is in the life of the, of the life of the people of God, which translates to us today as the church. But let me say this. Those of you that are single, uh, either way, for a man coming to you as a woman or a, you as a woman going to a man, do not steal the heart of a person and bring them after yourself. Don't take advantage of someone's singleness or vulnerability in their lives. In relationships you develop in the church, in relationships you develop in your life singles, develop good, growing, godly friendships. Friendships. You can never have enough friendships of the opposite sex. You can never have enough while you're single friends in your life that are friends. And of course, when you're married, those friendships change. As your relationship changes, but it's not good to just go through women and use them and discard them. And it's not good, ladies, just to go through guys and to use them and discard them. That's not from the Lord. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus was talking about money. 
And he said, where your treasure is, there your heart lies, there, there's your heart going to be. And it's true. You, if, if you look at where your money is, that's where you're paying attention to most of the time. It's, that's true. But I believe there's a spiritual principle there that has to do with our hearts. And as you're developing friendships, look, the Bible describes us as brothers and sisters. That's how the Bible describes us. We're brothers and sisters. That's how our relationship should be. We, we should treat the younger ladies as sisters, the guys as brothers, and, and, and the older women as mothers, and the older elders as fathers. We're, 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 those are familial descriptions in our lives. And we're not to take advantage of our brothers. And we're not to take advantage of our sisters. But rather we're to serve them. We're to esteem them better than ourselves. We're not to look at them to get something for ourselves. We're to look at them to serve them, to take care of them. But listen, guard your own hearts. I use the exhortation today not to steal a heart, but I also want to admonish you, guard your hearts. Be careful who you share the treasures of your life with. Be careful as you spend that time and you just find that, you know, the Bible says that a fool vents all his feelings. And when you begin to deposit your treasures in someone of the opposite sex, you're going to naturally follow where your treasure is. And perhaps that's a good thing in the sense of a good friendship, but it also puts you in a very vulnerable place for someone to take advantage of you. Be careful. Ladies, share things with other trusted ladies. It's a safe place. Men, share things with other trusted men. And until there's a commitment to marriage and you're in the premarital process, be very, very careful with the personal parts because unfortunately, as I've seen it time and time again, there are Absaloms, if you will, ready to take advantage of you singles, especially within a church. There are people that come to church just specifically to rip off other believers because of the genuineness of their hearts. Be careful. If you're in serving in leadership and the opportunity comes to draw people after yourself, just, just don't do it. It's not from the Lord. It's not godly. It's not good. And the body of Christ were to support one another. And if David was so busy then Absalom would have done well just to reconcile with his dad and help him and serve him, not take advantage of him. Jot these down. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 9, it says, The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. In Romans chapter 16, verse 18, it says, For those who are such do not serve the Lord Jesus, but their own belly, for by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 2. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. That's why it's good, I believe, to pause here and be reminded of a very important work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. How careful we need to be to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of our flesh. To have our spiritual antenna on so we're not taking advantage of and we don't find ourselves taking advantage of other people. You see, not everything is what it appears outwardly. Not everything is what it seems outwardly. While we see one thing, God alone sees the outside and the inside at the same time. So it would make sense that we would depend upon the discernment of the Lord to give us insight on the issues of the heart, which none of us know the heart of anyone. There isn't, we will never be able to know the heart. Only God reveals the heart. And on many occasions, he does. And there's a manifestation mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, no need to turn there, known as the discerning of spirits. The actual phrase in verse 10 is another to the discerning of spirits. 
I often refer to this in a practical way as the Holy Spirit alarm in your life. Where, where you face something, you face a situation or you face a person and you have this internal nudging, that hesitancy, this concern that what in, what's in front of you isn't quite right. You don't know why and you don't know what, but something's not quite right. The Holy Spirit is giving you a pause, a heavenly pause. It's not quite right. You don't know what it is yet. And it would be wise to begin praying of what the situation is. Things, something that you might even say, I use this phrase a lot myself, that's why I wrote it down, but you may have a similar phrase where you, you, somebody shares something with you, you see something, you hear something, you see a pattern of something, and you go, you know what, I'm not sure what that is. I can't quite put my finger on it. Anybody use that phrase? Just, I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it, but there's something going on here. And we need to pray. And we need to seek the Lord. And we need to compare what's going on with the scriptures. How vital it is for us to rely upon the Holy Spirit's help and his discernment in every area of our life. Every, even godly people miss it. I mean, it's not just like the super spiritual have the discernment and the not so spiritual don't get... No, everybody blows it. You remember Samuel when he went to go look for the next king with David? The first guy he saw thought, this is the guy. And God said, that's not the guy. You look at the outward. But God looks at the heart. And, and that's where God revealed to him David, the ruddy kid that was out. Even Samuel makes mistakes. He's, this, it happens to all of us. The Lord doesn't see as man sees. We want to see what he sees. We want him to open our eyes. You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor and a part of our series in 2 Samuel. Ed, as we closed, you were talking about the discerning of spirits, or as you put it, that Holy Spirit alarm in your life. Can you think of an example in your own life that you wouldn't mind sharing? Well, you know, Larry, this is so prevalent in our lives. It happens so often that I know we overlook it and don't pay attention to this discerning of spirits, the very presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us tell the difference between right or wrong, what's true, what's untrue. I remember not too many years ago sitting in a very difficult meeting with a brother that was filled with accusations toward us, toward me in particular. And as I'm listening to him and we're in a room trying to resolve it, there's other people involved and we're trying to resolve it. As I'm listening to him, he said something where the Lord impressed upon my heart that passage in Nehemiah where Nehemiah said, you know what? These things aren't true. You're making them up in your mind. And indeed, that's exactly what was happening. The whole premise of this brother's concern and difficulty was made up in his mind. And it was important that we all understood seeking the Lord that it wasn't true the Holy Spirit alarm was ding, 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 ding. We can't ignore it. I think of you single sisters or single brothers that are moving forward, but then you have this, ah, but then there's this issue and this situation. That's the Holy Spirit telling you to pause. Or you want to move forward in a certain direction, but you don't have a true peace from God. That's the Holy Spirit causing you to pause. Pay attention. It's, it's not always the Holy Spirit. So be careful and turn those hesitancies into deep prayer. Pay attention, though, 
to those times where you go, you know, this isn't quite right, or it doesn't quite fit, or, you know, I think you're making this up in your mind. Take it to the Lord in prayer. He'll give you the confirmation that you need, and you can go forward trusting Him and walking by faith. Thanks, Ed. And friend, if you'd like to hear this message again, just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Here in the month of June, we've picked out an excellent book written by Chuck Smith called Faith. As the title would suggest, this book is all about faith and the key to a successful Christian life. Pastor Chuck explains how faith takes you by the hand and walks you from one level of maturity to another. Using examples from the Bible and illustrations he's gleaned from the ministry, Pastor Chuck lays out a strong case for faith. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Just call us, 877-30-GRACE, and ask for faith. Again, 877-30-GRACE. Or you can get it through our e-store at calvaryco.store. And don't miss our next study in 2 Samuel. It's going to be a good one. That's here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And may God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado and online at AboundingGraceRadio.com.